First Thessalonians chapter 4, reading verses 1 to 8. Our message is on verses 1 to 3, the first part of 3. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not, call us unto, did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. As the grass withers and the flower fades, God's inerrant and holy word endures forever. And may he bring his blessing. Well, as we noted last week, a kind of conclusion occurred in the first part of this letter where Paul expresses in a devout prayer the desire that he has for the church in chapter 3, verses 11 down to verse 13, and how we are to have that heavenly mindedness and how that heavenly mindedness now transitions into following and pursuing the will of God for us. Many call chapters 4 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians the practical portion of this letter. And and I don't believe that's necessarily a good way to look at it. It's more the overflow of a heart that has been redeemed and of a heart that is devoted to God. Here now comes the overflow of of that love of God and love for God being realized into our lives. It's not about practical Christianity per se, as it is who we are, now live out who we are. And as we venture into chapters 4 and 5, we do not want to lose sight of the foundation. And, And it's already begun in these opening verses of chapter 4, that we cannot forget that it's not a question of us believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and then we go out and live and, and do as we please. Neither is it that we have come now to faith, now you must do. Christ has done enough for you. You go out and start living your life as a believer. Here's 12 steps in order for you to ensure that you do such a thing. That's a wrong way of looking at it. What we are looking at and understanding here is we are as living letters being built upon the foundation, Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets have laid a foundation and we coming to faith in Christ and we being the church of Jesus Christ, are being built upon that. And you see that focus of Paul 
jumping out immediately in verses 1 to 3, where you look back at, at verse 12 of chapter 3. He prays with this desire that the Lord would make you increase and abound. There's your foundation. And he comes to meet us in, in verse 1 of chapter 4. Now, abound more and more. See, you're, it's not that you're doing this apart from Christ or simply doing it because Christ has done something for you and in you. You are building and laboring with Christ as your foundation in these things. The same thing happens in verse 13 of chapter 3. May he establish your hearts blameless in holiness. And you come down to verse 3 and God says, here's my will. I want you to be holy. I want you to pursue holiness. And even as you get further on, and we're going to continue the theme of holiness in the coming few weeks, holiness is now a part of your life. Because in Christ you have been established in your hearts to pursue a blamelessness in holiness before God. And so there's the foundation, and now we're building upon it. And it comes, as we saw with the first three chapters, understanding the distinctive nature of what it means to be the church of Christ. Now we're understanding our distinctive nature as believers in Christ. And how we live. How we live separate from the world. In the world, but not of the world. A model that we are prone to neglect or confuse. Our distinctive nature is set in Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. And what does he tell us? Walk now as children of light. He is the way, the truth, and life. Frame your life upon that way of truth and life. You are distinct. From this world. Because you are in Christ. And what does that distinctive nature of being in Christ look like? Well it jumps out immediately in these opening verses. You are a holy people. God's will is for you to walk to please him. To be sanctified. And that's what he's doing. And, and what Paul will do in these next several uh, cha- these next two chapters and several verses is show to you how you live in contrast with the pagan world around you. And do not be deceived. Many people think we are living in a secular society. If anything of the last three years has taught us this Society that we live in is not secular. And what I mean by that, it is not living without a view of God or religion. It has established more clearly for us the paganism of its religion. With all of the sexuality and all of the culture of death and all that we see unfolding for us in these last Uh, three years in particular, the paganism of the world around us has become clear. We're living in pagan times. And in the midst of this, the question that becomes you this morning, 
is this. What is God's will for you? What is God's will for you? How would you answer that question? Well, it's easy. We've already read a verse that tells us very directly. But I'm often, as a pastor, confronted by people all the time. Well, I've got to make decisions on life. I don't know what God's will is for me. Uh, That can be challenging and difficult. Do I move to this place and take up university training over in this other city? Do I do it local from home? Weighing those options. What is God's will for me? And in those situations, we have to learn to live by faith, taking in the counsel that is given to us, taking in the wisdom from others who have gone before us, finding out from people that we trust what they consider to be a help in making those decisions. And so when you're trying to find out God's will in those particular places, God's word doesn't necessarily jump out and say, do this, don't do that. You've got to make a decision. But that's part of being the just ones. That's part of being God's people. The just shall live by Faith. I will make a decision in wisdom and counsel, seeking to glorify God with my life, and I will go in faith that the Lord is with me. But that's not what Paul is talking about here when in verse 3 he says, This is the will of God. And that question or that title of our message, What is God's will for you? What is God's overarching purpose? For each one of you who have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus. And we see that meeting us in a twofold way in these verses. First, God's will for you is that you be a God pleaser. You be a God pleaser, are you? Now we, we live in very difficult times where we are pressured To please the world around us. That is not new. We, I think, get this view in our heads that our culture is the most wicked and vile that has ever existed on the earth. It isn't. It's just, it's a little bit more visible than what we are used to from previous generations. That the church has always had to battle with these matters. And God in his providence has placed us in such a time where we, his church, must battle more powerfully. But when you read on, as we read from verses 3 down to verse 8, the whole issues of sexual immorality were present in Thessalonica in their day. And Paul is saying, God's will for you is not to please this world around you, but to please God in all that you do. We need to understand, what does it mean to live a life, to walk as a God-pleaser? This is more than what we often do or we often think, again, in many Christian circles. Many Christians tend to have this childlike view of pleasing God. And it's that do and don't checklist of Christian idealism. What I'm doing. Uh, Christians uh, uh, don't smoke, swear, and drink. Check, check, check. I've got that cleared off. 
Christians don't go to dances or the theater. Check, check. Christians do a Bible reading every morning and pray. Check, check. Is that what we mean by pleasing God? Like a little child who, who knows that they must clean their room and the parents exhort them every day, go and clean your room. And then there's that one wonderful occasion when the child comes out not having been told and said, Mom, I cleaned my room. And expecting a reward when they've simply done what they're supposed to do. What happens with checklist Christian idealism is that we look at simply what we are doing or not doing and base our pleasing of God on that without actually dealing with the heart and the spiritual nature of the Christian life. It's like the Pharisee in Luke 18 who stood apart from the tax collector and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like every other man. This is what I do. This is what I don't do. I'm not like that wretched tax collector over there. Was he pleasing God? We have to guard against that kind of Pharisaism. We really and truly need to guard against that kind of idea of pleasing God. And then Paul sort of brings it out there in verse 1. When he says, finally then brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you have received from us. How you ought to walk to please God. It is a life of urging and exhorting in the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what pleasing God is. If I could use that parent-child analogy. It's more where the parent is constantly approaching their children. Warning them and advising them. Don't go there because it's dangerous. Oh, you're going to do this. They would love it if you were able to help them in this area. That urging and exhortation that we do with our children is very much what, what the Christian life is about and learning to please God. And, and in this, the first thing to look to as a God pleaser is to look to how you are walking. How you are walking as a Christian. Are you pleasing God by what you give yourself over to each day? Do you know how many times in Scripture this phrase about walk comes out to meet us as imperatives? Walk in newness of life. Walk as one who has been redeemed from that old life of sin and is now a new creation in Jesus. Walk in the Spirit. Walk as someone who knows the Holy Spirit is inside me, who is there to help bring about, as we're going to see in our second point, that sanctification that God wills for us. Walk in the light. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. On and on and on. That commandment meets us. Do you consider this as you begin each day? What am I doing today for God's good pleasure? 
That is God's will for you. The opposite is, is as well there. Do not walk in the flesh. Do not walk in the lusts of the flesh. Do not be covetous. Do not allow your pride to rule in your life. Those do nots meet us. And you see, those are more than that checklist, aren't they? They're coming to meet us within our very soul. And when we understand that, two things about looking to your walk, how you are walking in order to please God, you need to understand this. These are just principles for you, but the first principle is this. Understand that walking to please God means that you are engaged in a battle with your flesh. (laughs) Think about that. You're engaged in a battle with your flesh. Paul stated in Romans chapter 8, those who are in the flesh cannot what? They cannot please God. Do not think that you aren't harming your relationship with God when you sit down and you watch that inappropriate movie. That is of the flesh. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's a battle going on. And and Paul recognizes that because what does he spend verses 3 excuse me, down to verse 7, dealing with, first and foremost, the issues of sexual sin, the issues of pornography, of improper movies and shows, of things that the world takes pleasure in and brings them to the forefront because they know it delights the heart. Some of you may not have seen car ads from back in the 70s and 80s. But it was always common for them to put these particular style of women beside the car showing it off. Why? Because in trying to sell an expensive vehicle, they needed to... They needed to... Sell it to you in the flesh. It's going to captivate their heart. I mean, a dozen companies have red vehicles. How can we sell this to the flesh? Let's put a woman there who shows off herself while we're showing off the car. It's a guarding principle. And when Paul says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God, he's talking about that very inward nature of ours that has become corrupted by sin, where we will take what is good and right and beautiful, created by God, and we will use it for sinful purposes. The lusts of the flesh, sexual, food, gluttony, drink, drunkenness, the flesh do not walk in the flesh there's a battle going on we're told by John in 1 John 2 that that what is of the world is is of the flesh it's the lust, the coveting the pride 
And when you look to your walk each day, and you consider, am I pleasing God by what I give myself over to each day? Are you guarding against the flesh that says, oh, I would love it if you could just gratify what I want. (laughs) And then you are no longer pleasing God, you're pleasing self. It's a battle with the flesh. It's also a battle with the world. And the world around us is not interested in the things of God, but is rather interested in promoting those things of the flesh. Which is why Paul says in in Romans 12, verse 2, most of you know this verse very clearly, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Are you proving that will of God each day? As you go into the world, tomorrow morning, many of you are going into workplaces. How prepared have you been before the Lord in accordance with your walk? Do you realize what is is in the world? Listen again to these words from 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things of the world. Your first prayer should be, God, guard my love for you. How easy it can be robbed by the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's how dramatic that is before God. You cannot love the world and God simultaneously. As Jesus would say, where your treasure is, there your heart is. You cannot serve Two masters, you will love one, hate the other. That's the force of these words. And all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. You're in a battle. And it doesn't mean that we can't go out into the world, but boy, do we have to be guarded. Because God's will for us is to please Him, not to gratify the lusts of our flesh. And you start applying that. And again, this is where many churches and denominations have failed. Especially here in Canada, we've seen over the last generation. We call them mainline churches. And what do we mean by that? We mean churches that have cast off the authority of God's word to follow the wisdom of the world in all matters of marriage and relationships and abortion and sexual immorality and gender and education, all of those things of the world that focus on on identity and focus on the flesh and have a narcissistic outlook to life. It's all about me and my glory. You need to affirm who I am. The Christian and the church has to be guarded. There's the battle. Oh, when, when Paul talks about being transformed, again, back to Romans 12, verse 2, the, the verbs there for us that meet us are be 
Do not be conformed. That's the first verb. And it's an imperative. It's saying, don't you be like the world. (laughs) The second imperative verb is, but be transformed. In other words, give yourself over to being a changed person. How? By the renewing of your mind. And that phrase, renewing of your mind, is not what you do. It's passive, but it's actually a noun. It's a form of phrase that means something is working in you to change you. And as Christians, what is that something? Well, it shouldn't be something. What is that someone who is in you, who is renewing your mind every day, who is saying to you, Be holy. And as the Holy Spirit makes you more and more aware of the way that you are to walk, now put that into practice and be transformed. That's the Christian life. That's the walk that pleases God. Be a God pleaser. Secondly, with that, and and this comes out in verse 2. Not only look to your walk, but look to your obedience. Do you want to please God? Children, children, how do you please mom and dad? How do you please your parents? By obeying. When you obey, and when you obey, I I like the phrase, how should you obey? All the way and right away and with a joyful heart. <laughs> I've never forgotten that line. Because we know when your obedience is an irritated obedience, a frustrated obedience, just as much as we know it when it is a joyful obedience. God's the same. Look to your obedience. Let me ask you this. We're going to hear them after the Lord's Supper, but do you know the commandments of the Lord? Do you know how personal they are to you? You shall not have any other gods before me. You shall honor your father and your mother. Very personal, aren't they? God has made them that way so that they would speak to our hearts about a life of obedience that pleases him. And particularly when you're thinking about pleasing God and looking to your obedience, focus on those first four commandments. Pray through them. And and look and test your own love for God. I marvel and I know I'm bringing this point up more and more and more. It's because the church has become more and more diminished in society. But do you know why we worship morning and evening? It's not because we're being legalistic. We're obeying God. Because it's a delight to worship God, isn't it? Isn't it a delight of your heart to worship God? Is it? Test your love for God. Oh, Pastor, the service was long this morning. Yeah, it's going to be a little long this morning. But what joy is there where we're receiving two professing members. We're tasting and seeing 
the love of God for us, and the offering of His Son. This is His day. Do you walk in a way that pleases God, or do you walk in a way that pleases your flesh? God's will for you is to walk to please Him. And that law of God that we are going to hear is not a dog chain around our necks. It meets us in the grace of Jesus Christ. We are the redeemed of the Lord. Now to my redeemed ones whom I have delivered out of bondage and the slavery of death, I give you my law. You shall have no other gods before me. It's given to us. Because God wants us to walk in the grace that He has poured out upon us. Out of His good pleasure, His desire to love us is the only reason we have been redeemed. And that law continues to meet us in the grace of Jesus. The law teaches us how to please God. It guards our hearts against false gods. It calls us to honor His name, to worship Him aright. It calls us to gather and assemble and be His people in the world. And it's there to challenge the sin that yet remains within us. And it opens us up to see the sin that still abides within this heart. Not for the purpose of us saying, oh, I'm a failure, I bombed it again. Lord, no, I like how this one minister put it. The law is the needle that draws the thread of the gospel to our souls. Constantly coming along in behind it, the grace of the Lord Jesus and his gospel that says, I am the one who has kept this for you. Your righteousness does not keep you in my love. Your righteousness does not earn any any aspect of God's mercy. I have earned it all for you. Walk in my love. Are you a God pleaser? God's will for you is to be a God pleaser. Secondly, this is going to be a brief point. God's will for you is to be sanctified. And this is what unfolds in the next two chapters. Be sanctified. This is the will of God, verse 3. Your sanctification. It's a big word. A lot of people do not like Bible words, but this is one that you should lay hold of in your hearts to understand it properly. Sanctification. Again, it's not about you being perfect. Or about you being a perfectionist. Don't you love it when people, maybe you've never been in that place, but when I was in uh, retail and uh, supervisory roles, uh, interviewing people for work, you'd often get that one person who would write on there, uh, tell me something about yourself and and how you can contribute to our company. And and you'd often see every now and then popping up, uh, uh, well, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. What what does that mean? I've come to learn that means you're slow in doing the work that you're called to do, (laughs) which often it is. (laughs) What does it mean to be a perfectionist? 
Nobody ever puts, look, I try really hard, I'm a slow worker, but I want to do my best for you if I can. You never see that, do you? You know the interesting thing about sanctification? I'll define it in a moment. The interesting thing about it is the more you are being sanctified, the less you are satisfied with who you are. (laughs) Because you are encountering more and more the holiness of God and you tremble. And that's what sanctification is about. It's about pursuing holiness where you are engaged by God in His Spirit to put to death sin and you are engaged by God in His Spirit to bring to life righteousness. And the more you do it, the more you are realizing there's more to be done. Paul saw himself far from that whole matter of being perfect. He never viewed himself as a perfectionist. No, the more he was sanctified, the more he saw himself to be the least of the apostles. And more he was sanctified, the more he saw himself as the least of the saints. And the more he was sanctified, the more he saw himself the chief of sinners. Because he more and more encountered the holiness of God. And he was more and more realizing, who am I but a sinner? saved by grace. Sanctification according to uh, a biblical uh, definition, our shorter catechism, question number 35. It is the work of God's free grace. It's a work of His grace in us. A constant work of His grace. Whereby you are renewed in the whole man You are renewed in your mind, in your will, and your affections after the image of God. More pointedly, after that image of the perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ, you are being renewed to that image. There was only and ever one man who was able to say, I have not sinned. Why am I dying? That was his cry from the cross. Why have you forsaken me? I've done everything for your will. We know why. It was the Father's good pleasure to put his son to death, to deliver him up for us all, so that in Christ we could be freely given all things, what's the highest thing God wants to give you? A life perfected in His Son. That's the one thing Jesus is praying for you. He is praying that as you are renewed in the whole man, as you are renewed in your mind, your will, and your affections, being transformed into my image, you would see yourself more and more enabled to die to sin and live to righteousness. Do you see that? Does that define your life? Jesus said in John 17, 17, how is he praying for us in heaven? Sanctify them. 
Sanctify them by your truth. Your word, Father, is truth. Sanctify them. Father, I have sanctified myself. I have set myself apart to be their great high priest and offering up myself for them so that they can be redeemed from all of their sins. Father, I have sanctified myself for them so that they can be one with us. Sanctify them. What an awesome prayer, isn't it? That's how Jesus is praying for us. Because again, God's will for you as his purchased possession is that you would be in the fullness and in the beautiful holiness of Jesus Christ made to be one who will dwell with him for all eternity. Brings us back to that heavenly mindedness again, doesn't it? That's the beauty of Scripture. It closes in Revelation 21 and 22. It closes with that beautiful picture of the bride of Christ, His church, you congregation of the Lord. It closes with that picture of the bride who has been made splendid in the beauty of holiness so that God can say to them, I will dwell with you. You shall be my people. I myself will be with you. And I will be your God. That's his will. Is it your will? You see how we need to be looking to the Lord. Trusting in his grace. Looking for that work of the Spirit in our lives to renew and transform us because God's will is for you to please Him, to be sanctified. Is that your will? Have you tried to be a Christian without faith in Jesus Christ? There's many who do. There's many who look at their life and think, I'm pretty good. I don't need a Savior. God should be able to accept me as I am because I don't, 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 don't. Because I do this, this, and this. That's a self-deceived person. Have you deceived yourself? You need to come to Christ. You need to see the work that he has done to deal with your sins. The only work that is able to satisfy God's wrath for sin. The only work that is able to deliver you from death is in what Jesus has done for us. Is that where you hope and rest? All other ground is sinking sand. Believe on the Lord. You will be saved. That's his promise. He does not lie. But as Christians, give yourself over to the will of God every day. Don't be thinking, I can handle this. I can do this. I can make it. Let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Trust in the Lord. Pray to him. God, let your spirit Be alive within me that I 
would seek that which pleases you. And that I would see your hand helping me to put to death sin and to do what's right. That's God's will for you. Make it your will. Let us pray.